Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast, a subcast of the amazing FBA podcast, which is for six, seven, eight figure Amazon sellers. So today we are talking to Eugene Turk from aligntoday.com. Align Today is a software tool that helps people focus on getting the most important things done that will help the businesses grow and scale, which is obviously great for those ambitious business owners listening. And Eugene is the vice president of business development there and the general counsel. So warm welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. And you're looking like a nice, relaxed place that you're sitting there for those who are watching the video or for those who aren't, I guess. Can you explain where you are? We are a software development company in New Orleans, Louisiana, in the United States. And since we are all sheltered at home, you are currently finding me in the backyard office of aligntoday.com. <laughs> Literally in the garden. I like it. It looks yes. very relaxing. I like it. It is a beautiful spring day. So I was just saying to you that it's a shame you're not uh, selling a course on how to sit on the beach or, you know, sit in the garden and make millions. But let, let's get working on making people millions. So first of all, what's the methodology that Align Today is based So Align Today really, uh, as a software tool, was originally built upon the Rockefeller Habits, or what is now known as the Scaling Up Business Methodology. For those of you who are not familiar with either, there was a book written by a gentleman named Vern Harnish, I think back in 2003 timeframe, called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. And in that book, what Vern did is he basically tried to outline what were the 10 uh, habits that John D. Rockefeller implemented at Standard Oil that made him essentially one of the greatest entrepreneurs in business history. And more recently, about two or three years ago, uh, Vern wrote a follow-up book called Mastering the Rocket ha Rockefeller Habits 2.0 called Scaling Up. As a matter of fact, I have a copy of it here in front of me for those of you who are not familiar. It's a fantastic uh, book. Um, and essentially, our software was created by a serial entrepreneur who several years ago was working with a business coach to try to implement some of these good business habits in a primary business that he was growing and scaling. It was a tech company. And at the time, they were using Excel spreadsheets and paper to be able to keep track of their strategic plan and how well the company was actually executing against that plan. And because he had in-house developers, he decided that he could probably get those guys to develop a piece of software to do it better and all in one place. And that's how Align was originally conceived and built. And then that executive coach that he was working with loved it so much, he said, can I go take this to my other business coaching clients? And that's kind of how our software grew and spread over the last uh, seven years. Excellent. So it's always good when you solve you know, mm -hmm. your own problem that you see in front of you, because uh, that sort of implies that your, your use case is right there. So yeah, I, I have to say I came to Align Today myself because um, I'm that um, a lot of the time guests just approach me and I look into what they do and see if it's cool or not and whether whether it would help my listeners and, and viewers. 
But in this case, I came to scaling up because it was recommended to me by one of my former guests and uh, fantastic successful um, business grower, Ash Monger, who's grown a business from nothing to $25 million in revenue in, in nine, probably not that short years, but over in there. And uh, we had a deep discussion about it over coffee and I went away and read the book and I just love, love, love that book. I think it's just such a great book. I read a lot of business books. It is right in my top 10, at least right now, probably in my top five. So that's why I love the fact that there was a software that sort of embedded all the principles directly in it so you didn't have to build it in. So I have to say I'm somewhat biased in favor of the book. Let's talk about the the basics of the book then in this episode and we'll talk about software in, in the next one because that's a slightly different, I think. Um First of all, there's the four areas of it, right? People, strategy, execution, cash. So let's talk about strategy because that's one of those turned around a lot. Um, I think a lot of people use the word strategy when they mean very short-lived little tactic. <laughs> What's your understanding of the word strategy as used in the scaling? Well, strategy really is documenting who you are as a business. Where do you see yourself going? How do you see yourself getting there? And how well are you actually doing on that journey? So we have, I think there's lots of entrepreneurs and lots of business owners that run very successful businesses, but that don't necessarily have much of a strategic plan. And that's fine. They've gotten to their state of success in their business, just sort of selling products or providing services to clients without necessarily focusing on the strategic growth that they want for their business. And so what Vern has done and what the scaling up methodology does as the backbone is, uh, like you mentioned, there's four decisions, strategy, people, execution, and cash. Within that strategy ex- decision is really sort of the, 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 the concept of, do you know sort of who you are as a business? And what I mean by that is, are there foundational principles that you operate and make key decisions in your business by? Those are what Vern calls your core values. You know, I think the way that it's been described before is if you're playing a game, you want to know where the the sidelines are. Where's the boundary of the playing field that you're playing in? And so the core values really sort of help you understand the limits of what you're willing to do with your within your business. It is a decision-making framework for everything that you do, how you hire, what products you create, what services you offer, what messaging you provide to your customers or to the marketplace. It is your core values. It is, it is literally who you are and what you strive to be in your business. And I think there's a lot of people that haven't necessarily done that exercise of developing their core values. So that's the very first part of the strategic planning process. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And um, one of the things that I think is important to ha- flag up is, um, I guess, the self-development world sort of crosses over with the sort of online business world for some large degree. Um, and one of the things that can happen is that people sort of go into identity crises and sit down and, and say, oh, what is it I do? And, and you know, sometimes that's necessary. I mean, it, uh, my experience the, the, with the big corporates when they're doing that is normally when it's game over anyway. You know, they're kind of doing a mea culpa publicly. But I guess one of the things that I'm in this book is um, the Vern Harnish says, look, this is not about changing everything. It's about articulating who mm-hmm. you already are. I mean, what are your thoughts on that one? Because I think it is important to, to point out what it is. Well, I think your core values also can change over time. I think you're absolutely right in terms of comparing it to self-development in that, yes, there's lots of people that have their own value system for who they are as a person. 
But I think it's just as equally uh, adaptable in the business world to say, this is who we are as a business. And your core values, you know, you hope that you get them right from the outset. But certainly, there is room for shifting core values. As an example, at Align, we started with our core values about two and a half years ago. And we just last quarter went through an exercise where we reevaluated our core values, where we basically sent out a bunch of surveys to our employees and said, do these core values still resonate with you? Do you like the language that we use to describe the core values? Do they still mean as much to you as an employee within our organization today as they did when we sort of created them two years ago? And if not, let's go as a group through this process of reevaluating the core values. Do they need to be changed? Do some need to be taken off of our core values list? Are there others that sort of better reflect who we are as an organization and what we strive to be. So they're not set in stone. They certainly, uh, there's room for development and uh, an amendment over time. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess, got to be reality of anything in the world. And it's interesting that I wouldn't be phased by that idea with product development. So you put a product out the marketplace, it works reasonably well, but maybe it gets a little bit stale relative to the other offerings in the marketplace or the customers give you feedback that can make it even better. You remove some things that aren't necessary, you add features. And I guess that what you're doing is engineering a sort of culture, but very, right? So it's, it's um, in a sense, adding a very standardized process that was probably familiar with to a rather more abstract layer of the business than we used to, which is a very interesting thought. I mean, I know there's a, a tool that once you've got that process thought through, which can be a bit abstract to communicate that to everyone and make it more succinct, more you know consistent, which is the one-page strategic plan. So, what are your what's your understanding? That's that really sort of the foundational core of the Rock Habits and the and the and scaling up methodology. So, what you want to do is you want to document your core values, and in addition to core values, there's also something called the core purpose. That's sort of the why. Why does your business exist? What do you what what impact are you trying to have on the world? There's other things like the BHAG, which is the big, hairy, audacious goal, something that comes from Jim Collins, uh, which is really like your North Star. Where do you see yourself 10, 20, maybe even 30 years from now? And so you want to have a place where you can document all of these foundational building blocks of your business, and all of that is in the one-page strategic plan. It's, 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 it's a document that you want to share with every single employee in your business uh, because that's what creates the transparency within an organization that's going to create the culture where everyone knows who you are, what do you strive to achieve, how do you see yourself getting there. And so there's no reason to hide that information from your employees. You want everyone to sort of know what you stand for and what you're trying to achieve. Why do you come to work every single day? Because you want to make a difference, you want to create great products, you want to create uh, or you want to offer great services to people, and ultimately you want to be the biggest seller in Asia, whatever your BHAG might be. You document that and you have a place where you can always go back to it and be reminded and focused on what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, that's really, really great. And I think what's uh, interesting about that is I was reading Scaling Up last night about something else because we were doing a podcast about people and team building. And I was just rereading that there's a lot of dense information to unpack there, but there's a lot of common sense as well. And one of the things it said, look, studies show, as you might expect, that yes, good people want to be paid well, but 
there's a quite a big limit to how much you can get great people to work for you if it's just based on how much you pay them, apart from the financial problem it represents, um, which is because they want a sense of purpose. And I think that people underestimate that and undervalue that. I think if you're just selling digits to people, um, if you're in e-commerce, for example, there's something a lot less inspiring about that than if you're trying to you know, transform the world in some maybe minor way, but what you really, really care about and that your you know, customers care about as well. So I, I just wanted to kind of put my finger on the importance of that. I think it's easily dismissed as mumbo jumbo, but I think it shows up in the balance sheet. I just think it's harder to pin down than product development, for example. I also think... Have you got an example? I was just going to add, I've been reading a lot of stories where particularly with the millennial workforce, that they want to have a sense of purpose. It's, It's a very different sort of generational thing that they aren't necessarily going to work for one company for the next 30 years. They sort of are picking companies and places that they want to work that sort of sync with their own value structure, that sync with their own purpose of things that they want to achieve, how they want to achieve them. So you will see, I I certainly am seeing this more and more, that many companies on their websites are actually providing information about their core values. In in an About Us section on many company websites, you will now see information about their core values, their core purpose. It may not be called those things, but if you read into it, it really is a sort of uh, a sharing of those ideals uh, in order to give potential employees or even potential customers more information into who they are as a business and how they operate. Yeah. And also the the other thing that strikes me is this, that it's about that other thing that that, um, Vern Harnish mentions, which is you have to think of hiring as partly a marketing Mm -hmm. function. In other words, you need to get the best people on board. And one of those functions is to have a clear, I guess it's more than just a message, to have a clear reason for existence, which will resonate in messaging, but also internally as well. So in other words, you've got to attract the best people rather than just assume that there's money available and you can just have your pick of the best people. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot that makes sense stuff. I mean, um, hard to make it concrete. So let's come to the execution side of things, because obviously I think we've all had this experience. Maybe I'm more guilty than most of, of getting caught up in the abstracts and the ideas and the strategy side of things. But then the day-to-day runs along as it ever does, maybe old, maybe badly, uh, depending on how good you are at the execution. So how do we move from the strategy, the idea that we want to do something massive, like be the biggest seller of this product in Asia or, you know, change the lives of women by giving them, you know, the best makeup in the entire planet or whatever our mm-hmm. BHAG is, our big, big goal. How do we move from that to making it actually a weekly and monthly and quarterly yeah, that, I mean, that's the hardest part is you can have the gr- the world's greatest strategic plan, but if you don't execute or don't implement that strategic plan, your business will sort of flounder. And so what, what really is the core of the execution part of it is on a quarterly basis is taking a small bite of the elephant, you know, as the old adage, what's the what's the easiest way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So if you know what your BHAG is, if you know where you want to be 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years from now, you start breaking it down into smaller and smaller, more manageable chunks. So if that's where you want to be 10 years from now, where do you need to be three years from now to be on your way towards that BHAG? And where do you need to be one year from now to continue on that journey towards success? And where do you need to be 90 days from now in the next quarter? 
And so within that quarterly structure, you try to identify, say, one, two, or maybe three what we call priorities. Sometimes they're referred to as rocks or OKRs or priorities. They're all the same in terms of concept. You're trying to identify the three, two, two or three most important things that you need to get done in the next 90 days that's going to keep your business moving forward. You're not going to achieve this all overnight. You don't want to take on a task or a priority or an objective that's too big, but you do want to challenge yourself and say, in the next 90 days, we need to get 15 new clients, or we need to sell uh, 500,000 widgets. And let that be a goal. And so you set targets, and then you sort of build those targets out. What are the things that you need to do, the specific action items uh, that you need to take and achieve in order to get to that goal? So if you need to get 15 new clients, what are the marketing steps that you need to do in order to attract those leads? How are you going to sort of, what is your sales process going to look like in order to generate those leads? And once they come in the door to close those leads, so you get 15 new clients or if you're going to sell 500,000 widgets, do you have the operating and manufacturing capacity to do so? If not, okay, we need to hire three new people or we need to increase our efficiency in the manufacturing, in the manufacturing process by 5%. And so it, it has to be a smart priority. I don't know if you, if you, you know the smart. It has to be specific. It has to be measurable. It has to be achievable. It has to be relevant. And it has to be time-based. So that's S-M-A-R-T, a smart priority. So when you write that quarterly priority, you have to make it specific. Exactly what do you want to achieve? You have to make it measurable. You've got to be able to measure your success. You've got to make it achievable. You don't want to you know, say, I'm going to you know, sell the moon tomorrow. It's got to be something that is achievable. Uh, it's got to be relevant because it's actually going to gonna grow and really scale like your business. It and it has that, to be time-based. Um, you have to set a deadline not a by the idea. end of the quarter. This Having is strategy planning achieve. is not a new and idea. And so then you start building out the tasks kind of and the action items to make um, the there are three layer, layers one is the people that fall in love with ideas and i can be one of those people right. sometimes and don't really take any action then there's people who get their hands dirty and take a lot of action are good at the execution side getting widgets made getting stuff on amazon get you know whatever the business model is and that's that comes with a danger that you actually turn your back on and turn your nose up at the abstract stuff and what i think is great about this is that the next level of person really understands the importance of strategy but integrates it in the way you've just described i think that's very exciting to me because i think great things can really happen and i've seen it a lot with my clients when they get that done and not necessarily down to me you know i mean some of them in masterminds are just they're, they're amazing people and i can add some value can throw a bit of gasoline on the fire as it states but um I'm, I'm not responsible but nevertheless it's exciting to see the the, the combination of the two is really what i think um so the next thing then it talking of of um, clients let's talk about things because um there's there's a big emphasis on a sort of meeting rhythm in the uh, rockefeller habit slash scaling up what do you think is important about that because a lot of people really dislike meetings it's one of the reasons they leave corporate life or wish to leave corporate life to set up their own their own uh, businesses after all so how do we make meetings better okay <laughs> okay well that's a start yeah. right well first we don't call them meetings 
<laughs> I just I, I I agree with you. I think there is a negative connotation to the word meetings that people are over meeting and they are. There's the old adage that this is another example of a meeting that could have been avoided with the sending of an email, you know that type of thing. And so in the Rockefeller habits and scaling up, there is a communication rhythm, and it goes like this: there's daily huddles, there's weekly huddles. There's a monthly huddle or truly a meeting and then a quarterly planning session. So let's go those, uh, those in reverse. So once every 90 days, you and your management team or maybe your entire organization get together in order to develop the quarterly priorities that we just talked about. So you may have a, a one-day session where you sit in a conference room and you put a bunch of sticky notes on the board or whiteboard ideas of what are the two or the three things that we need to do uh, in the next 90 days to keep moving this business forward. So that's once every quarter. Once a month, you may then get together maybe for an hour or two with your team or your entire organization to go through those priorities and see how well are you actually doing. So you set your priorities, let's say, on January 1st at the start of the year, at the start of the quarter. And then on February 1st or roundabout, you might have another meeting with your team and say, okay, how are we doing? Do we need to course correct? What are the obstacles that we're encountering that we didn't suspect we would encounter in order to help us work through these problems and get our priorities back on track? So that's once a month. Uh, a weekly huddle. Weekly huddles are typically going to be your team, uh, whether that be the sales team, the marketing team, the executive team, or maybe maybe even one-on-ones with direct reports. And what you're really doing is you're talking about your both company priorities and individual priorities, those individual tasks that you, Michael, or I, Eugene, am responsible and being held accountable for that's going to help the company achieve that quarterly priority. So that's just once a week. Those typically take anywhere like 30 to 45 minutes. And then daily is a daily huddle. And what a daily huddle is a very short, no more than 15 minute uh, stand up. I think in the development world, it's called a scrum, you know, or in hospitals, they have daily huddles when there's shift changes among nurses. But all you're doing in a daily huddle is giving a what's up update. What have you been working on? What are you struggling with that somebody else in the team might be able to help you work through? And what are some good news that you'd like to share with the rest of the team? The point of the huddle is to exchange the most critical information in the hopes that you will eliminate many of the other meetings that go on throughout the day. You really, you know, it's an Excellent. opportunity and for you by to the get way, with your the, entire the team. To you immediately and quickly know what everybody's working on. Is, what are the roadblocks and exchange, that they're encountering the way, that you might be able to help them work through? Be honest, and what's the good news that you want to celebrate hours and recognize? So, Less than 15 um, minutes, Sometimes an email exchange goes back and forth for half a month, you know, half a week, two weeks, could be avoided by a 20-minute Zoom call. And I think that there is, the opposite of that is true with the daily huddle thing. I mean, I've been, by the way, just confessions that I've used that in the past and then falling out of, of Lyme. Um, my experience is you always recover a bunch of misunderstandings that are going on in your team if you do actually get into this discipline. So I need to get myself back on this. So uh, I have to say it's a great thing. Mm. Yeah. Hey, uh, Michael, the, 
Mm-hmm. The other point that I would make is you're absolutely right because when you get an email, responding to that email, one, takes time, and two, takes you away from whatever it was that you were currently working on. And so when you have a scheduled huddle at a specific time each and every day, you know that that is the time on your calendar, whether it be, let's say, 9, 13 every morning, that you're going to walk into the conference room, you're going to see everyone else, we're virtually by Zoom right now, and you're going to share that information. A huddle is not a time to solve problems. You do that after the huddle. If someone raises something that you need to discuss further with a coworker, you do that after the huddle. During the huddle, you're simply exchanging the most critical information, learning about what everybody else is encountering, what are clients telling those people, what's the sales team I, I doing over here, what's the marketing team why doing I hate over here. Email. I'm not, and then if there are things that need to be resolved, you format. can do that afterwards. What I hate about email but it also a bunch of is, is set on your calendar. It doesn't take like away from your workflow to a, as nearly as, as, as much as constantly getting into an email Sometimes it's a nasty message from a client, sometimes or a customer, and sometimes a code melting down. Um, sometimes it's something really nice so it's a very variable kind of schizophrenic experience you don't know what you're going to get and you don't know whether it's going to take you half an hour to deal with or two hours and it completely fries your brain because if you go through emails as a thing (laughs) as one work task then they're actually normally relate to about 15 or 20 different projects my experience um you know sometimes personal life whatever so batching your email does get that out of the way but you you are so right i mean i think that that it's so important to have a place in your calendar to deal with things in a specific way and then don't be depending on email for that i think even for that it's worth a lot i mean i have to say any any way that makes you know less dependent on that that brain frying experience of email checking so the other thing then we go on That's true. And the irony is that they advertise themselves as we're not email, basically. And I think the same is true now the moment, then I've, for everybody I've that's using Slack. And just beginning you know, to experience what those, you're saying. Uh, I certainly spaces that, with, that have um, Slack messages on um, Facebook. Just and keep getting it every time. In the end, um, there's and, you know, something the about that of specific time to make for a specific purpose. That is a really great way of operating. It's just very old school, but it's it's also you know viable whether you're meeting in person or on Zoom doesn't matter. But the pa- the fact is we are here for a very specific purpose. And as you said, you have got three questions: what's up, what are you struggling with, what's some good news. Very very disciplined framework around it. I, I love that as the opposite to email, where anything can come at you, and often does. So let's talk about data, which is obviously you mentioned before, right at the beginning of this, which is a really nice way of putting it. It helps people focus on getting the most important things done. And you've also mentioned you set your priorities and then you check in, mm-hmm. are we achieving them? So I guess data is part of that. What sort of basic data do you feel you should track or how do you handle that side of things? So obviously, every business is going to be different uh, in terms of the specific, what we call critical numbers that you're going to be measuring. 
But there are certain things that obviously every business is probably measuring your revenue, your gross profit margins. But you know, if you if you are selling widgets, you might have a critical number where you're tracking how many widgets sold. You may be tracking new customers. You may be tracking things like customer retention rates. You may be tracking visitors to your website if that's part of your marketing things. You might be tracking leads generated through Google ads or something like that. So it really is dependent upon the business and the nature of the of what it is that you do. But ultimately, what you should be tracking are the three to five most important metrics that will very quickly give you a sense of the health and wellness of your business. And so, or it may be something that you specifically targeted as a thing that you want to focus on that quarter. There are some companies that are lucky enough to sort of identify one critical number each quarter. This is the most important metric that we want to track this particular quarter. Most of the companies that I know can't get it down to one. There may be two, three, up to five critical numbers. I think when you get past five critical numbers, you're really not focused on any of them. So that's why you do want to limit the number of critical numbers, but they are the most telling leading indicators in your business, not lagging, but leading indicators that are going to give you a very quick snapshot of how well the business is doing. And so that's the kind of things that you want to be tracking. You want to have an employee uh, sort of accountable for each critical number. And the reason for that is, is because when you assign somebody a critical number, they're going to focus and hopefully provide some analytical thought, some critical analysis for why that number is what it is. Are you trending up? Are you trending down? Is the number stagnant? If so, how do we get it moving in the right direction? So data and sort of metrics are really sort of important to understand how your business is doing because you then want to use that data to make decisions uh, that are going to impact the business. If a number is trending down uh, and that's a bad sign, then you Perfect. immediately yeah, want to I, figure the, out what, great is answer. Action, and, what is the um, course correction that I, I really like the fact that, again, in order to get that number constraints, back limitations, in the direction. force so things to be data better that a lot tells of the time. The how your business daily is doing, doing, you are only asking three questions, not 50. The fact that your software, for example, aligned today, and I'm not saying it's the only solution, but I'm I mean, anything that forces you to only do five things. For example, I was putting in some critical numbers last night for a business project that I'm working on using a line today. Not because of this conversation was particularly coming up, funnily enough. I thought, oh, what a funny coincidence. But because I just felt the need to, right. to cut through, there was a lot of slack back and forth. There's a lot of emails, a lot of documents on Google Docs or wherever, which is necessary. But I just thought, I need some clarity on this. And as soon as I put it into a dashboard, I thought, wow, we are way off the critical numbers. It looks horrendous. But I thought, okay, so now I know how bad this is. I can go back to it and say, look, just so you know, if we get a needle on this, um, based on the recent metrics and a few actions I've taken, we're going to have to do drastic things with with your product. We're going to have to, you know, push the boat out a little bit more and take some more risks in terms of getting reviews <laughs> on Amazon. Specifically, we're going to have to spend quite a lot of money, which you may or may not get back, right. but even to give it a, a fighting chance of ranking for the right keywords and so forth. But having it there, a bit like seeing your car you know, going at one, you know, at 30 miles an hour in first gear, which I guess you can't do if you're, most Americans drive automatics, right? If you're a stick shifter and do it and 
Um, occasionally you hear an old lady doing it <laughs> everywhere in the world, right? And if you're redlining at 7,000 RPM and in first gear and it's screaming, you can see that dial quivering. It's very visual. It's very helpful to me to have a visual representation of that. So I have to say that, you know, biased as I am, and I've got to be clear, I am an affiliate for a line today, but I you know, haven't sold anyone any of it yet. But I do think <laughs> right. whether you use a line or whoever it is, having a visual representation really, really helps because it yeah. cuts through all the noise to five dials, literally dials is helpful. And there are the red, green or super green as, as they call it in, in um, scaling up. So tell me a little bit more about anything else that you guys, you offer free resources for people to sign up, any sort of checklist for this stuff? Mm hmm Sure. As a matter of fact, you can go to aligntoday.com. We have a blog where we're generating lots and lots of content that is about these habits, how to implement huddles in your organization, how to get into the habit of gold tracking. We have uh, free downloads from that website that will help you sort of understand the value of, of huddles and gold tracking and how to start doing that in your business. We have, I've been doing a, a, a video web series ever since the start of the Corona COVID crisis called Align's Daily Dose of Advice, where I have been interviewing business and thought leaders from the, around the world. And in that video series, I've been asking them only five questions. So again, restraint and uh, restrictions on just tell me the most important things, the most meaningful insights that you want to share with the rest of the business community out there on how to get through the disruption, how to survive, and then move into a thriving mindset with regard to Corona and sort of as we reopen economies and we reopen communities, what does that mean for businesses? And Great. so please feel many, free to check thanks. us out. Fine. You can follow me on LinkedIn or follow a line on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as obviously our website. Our website is a great uh, source of information. We do have a weekly newsletter you can sign up for. There's lots of ways to get valuable content and resources from us. Michael, a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective Podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.